Hi, welcome everyone to Pop Cult X episode 101. We made it into the hundreds. Uh, pop culture <laughs> from the Gen X perspective with your co-host Gabriel and with me is Danny. Um, as always, we uh, sort of talk about pop culture, whether that be television, music, comic books, etc. So let's go ahead and get into it this week. Uh, Danny, how's it going? What have you been up to? Uh, not too much. Going good, I guess. Um been watching a lot of Apple TV Plus. I feel oh, like good. that's been like the, the my streaming channel of choice of late. Uh, Ted Lasso, Hello Tomorrow. There's another one I want to watch with um, Chris O'Dowd called The Big Door Prize. I haven't gotten to that yet. Um, and they recently released a movie on there that I thought was really fun. And it's called Tetris. Yes, they made a movie about the making of Tetris. Well, not so much the making, but more about the licensing of Tetris. And it's a, it's a really fun suspense thriller. They made it into that because it takes place in, uh, you know, right towards the end of communist Russia. So it's at the right when the USSR collapses and the Soviet state begins, you know, Gorbachev's end of his reign there, I guess. And it's it's really it's it's really good, interesting if you're a fan of video games, and especially if you're a fan of Tetris, which is probably one of the top selling games ever. Yeah, I mean, sure. if you can imagine, remember when Tetris came out on Game Boy and how addictive that was for a lot of people. So it was. Um, it stars um, what was his name? Taron Egerton, I think that's how Egerton. You say it. Egerton, from, yes, from, from the, the Kingsman, and uh, yes, and who I think people were like calling to be like the next M uh, Wolverine in the MCU, and I could see him playing that. So. I could see that. Yeah, he's a little guy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with us little guys. Come on. <laughs> but yeah, he, um, I could I could totally see that. that would be some good casting there. Yeah, and and he did a great job in the movie. I thought it was really well done. Um, like most of Apple TV stuff, they they do a really good job with all of their productions. And I think we've talked about this before, where they choose to go quality over quantity. So yeah. so um, that's about it for me. I mean, I got to get into Schmigadoon season two, Schmicago, which is interesting. I haven't watched it yet. I haven't finished up season one. But I guess season two takes place in like the 60s, 70s era of musicals. Those things like Jesus Christ Superstar, you know, in that really like hippie flowy type of stuff, really more a little more edgy type. So I'm curious to see what they do with that. Nice. Well, to jump on your bandwagon of, of Apple Plus <laughs> television, um, I have been really getting into this show called My Kind of Country. It's executive produced by Casey Musgraves and... Okay. Witherspoon and what the what it is is basically it's like the voice for American Idol but for country music but what the interesting uh, twist for me is is that they're specifically looking to diversify um the sound of country so they're looking oh, really aren't your typical you know cis straight white um country stars because mm -hmm. that's who we really see right you know like yeah, think of yeah. your country pop stars they typically tend to be straight white guys or straight white girls um men and women and so this um is a really interesting take on that um you have contestants from like india south africa mexico the united states um people from various ethnic backgrounds racial racial dimensions um so that's what kind of pulled me into it i'm not a huge fan 
of country music. Um, mm-hmm. I think I'm a fan of like older country music, like Johnny Cash, um, yeah. but not so much of like the pop stuff. Um, but it really pulled me in. The stories of the people are really interesting, how they got involved into country music. Um, the judges are are uh, pretty cool too. Orville Peck, who is um, an LGBT country music singer from Canada via South Africa. Um, Mickey Guyton oh, wow. and Jimmy Allen, who are both African-American country music stars. Um, and so they're, they kind of come from that diverse background. And so mm-hmm. they're wanting to make it a little bit more inclusive within the, uh, the pop country uh, landscape. And so I was like, that's an awesome idea. Let that me is. By watching it. Um, a spoiler alert, I'm going to let you know who won. If people haven't seen it, uh, the winner has already been announced, and I did see the finale. Um, Michaela Kleinsmith, who is the winner, she is from South Africa as well. Um, she has this really amazing voice. Um, she's a really soft spoken, um, really sensitive soul. She was like bullied her whole life. Mm. Uh, she's uh, a larger person. Um, so her size had been uh, kind of a point of contention for her growing up. Uh, she's black South African. So that probably also played into it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you really see her growing from someone who's not the most confident into like a really confident country music singer, um, does a really amazing cover of the band Perry. Um, and then does an original song and she oh, kills cool. it and she wins. And that's actually what I've been listening to on, on iTunes to kind of, tr- um, transition over into, you know, what is, uh, new or what I am listening to. I'm looking, lis- looking it up now. Um, but it's Michaela, uh, Kleinsmith, uh, K L E I N S M I T H. And her EP is called butterfly. And, um, one of the songs is called raise this cup, really cool song. Um, kind of, a really like folky country music sound. Um, so not necessarily what you would think of when you think of country music, um, but definitely really interesting. And she has an amazing voice. So I'm really happy that we got like a new voice in country, um, especially someone that represents uh, a bit of diversity uh, yeah. within that that uh, genre of music. And so um, really cool. I'm really glad to have seen this produced. Um, good job to Casey Musgraves and Reese Witherspoon for bringing out this idea. I think it's really great. Um, it actually would be kind of cool to see that in other genres of music that we really don't get to see, but mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if we'll ever get to see it, but I think <laughs> it's a great idea. If you're a fan of country music or if you're just a, a fan of reality music competitions like American Idol or The Voice, I definitely would check it out. It's really fun. It's really interesting. It's kind of short. It, there's not too many episodes. You can watch it probably in one night if you fast forward through some of the more uh, less interesting areas and listen to the performances. Um, but I would definitely recommend it and check it out, but definitely check out Michaela's new EP. It's definitely worth the listen to. That's cool. I, I found it interesting that you said that there was two African-American judges mm-hmm. on the panel. Cause I, when I think of country music, the, like the only African-American artist I think of is like Darius Rucker, right. From who formerly of Hootie and the Blowfish. Right. And so I thought that was, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think that it speaks to um, a really big movement within country music to acknowledge the fact that their fan base is really diverse. You have people that are Latino American, people that are African American, Black, or you know, people just in general from different countries that aren't necessarily reflected in in the stars. Um, mm-hmm. And so, um, one of the the points that one of the judges makes is that you know they should have a Mexican star because. Cowboy culture 
evolved from vaquero culture yeah um yeah. the style the the singing um things of that nature and so it really makes sense for them to have a mexican um country western star so uh it's really interesting show it it it's you know it's it sounds like it might be like um you know, forcing diversity, but it's actually, it's not, it's very natural. All of the people who participate in the show are very much fans of country uh, music. And uh, they are all graded on like authenticity of of their voice, (laughs) uh, making sure that, you know, they're not just trying to, you know, get their foot in the door somehow, but they actually do like the, uh, the art of country music. So a really cool, really cool show. I'm definitely recommend it. Um, I, I liked it and, uh, you know, it was worth a watch. So definitely check it out. We'll have to check that out then. Yeah. When I think like um, Mexican country music, like you said, isn't that like uh, banda or ranchero music already? Isn't that country enough? <laughs> yeah. there. I mean, but there's, there's like Mexican American singers like Jody Messina, uh, Freddie mm-hmm. Fender, who, who sing in English and our country. Mm-hmm. Western. Oh, okay. I got you. Got you. Uh, okay. Nina Ronstan did a lot of country music uh, as well. Um, she's Mexican American, so um, I think that those are, are, you know, where they want to branch out into. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. Yeah. The other big thing that that I'm kind of excited about is that we have a really cool interview coming up here within mm-hmm. the next few minutes um, with Josh Trio, who is writer uh, above excellence um, that has worked on a ton of different uh, projects, but specifically uh, a lot of hype over his recent work on Blue Beetle Graduation Day. Issues one through five have been out waiting mm-hmm. For number six, unlike mm-hmm. that little finger that we're, we'll get into, <laughs> um, but definitely excited about our conversation with him uh, and delve into uh, what's going on with him. Hi, welcome so much to Pop Cold X, Josh. Um, please allow me a moment to introduce you to our friends. Um, Josh Trujillo is a writer, editor, and narrative designer based in Los Angeles. He has worked with clients including Marvel, HBO, Google, Netflix, and DC Comics, among others. Josh has written for various iconic characters, including Superman, Wonder Woman, and The Flash. We're currently reading Josh's work for DC, Blue Beetle, Graduation Day. Once again, welcome to our show, Josh. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm excited to chat. Yeah, it's, awesome. it's really great to be able to chat with you. Um, and looking at your your biography on your website, or I guess your your bibliography, if you will, you've written a lot, a lot of stuff. You're, it, you span this across so many different genres and so many different medium types. Um, but I guess the question that I have at the beginning is, what made you want to be a writer? Was a storyteller always inside of you and and it somehow just found its way out? Yeah. Um, so, you know, as long as I can remember, I've always wanted to tell stories or retell stories. Or um, my my grandparents used to have the newspaper every morning. And so they'd read me the, the comic strips. So like Garfield nice. or Peanuts or Calvin and Hobbes mm-hmm. or whoever. And so I would cut them up and I would rearrange the panels. And I think that's how I learned how comics were made. Cause I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. if you put them in a different order, they say different things. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'd start to trace over Garfield cartoons and like make my own. And like, so, I mean, it's kind of always, I've wanted uh, to do that. Uh, it just takes a heck of a long time to actually pull it off. Yeah. <laughs> so speaking of, of your introduction to comics, you mentioned Garfield, were there any other comics that, that really like pulled you into the genre? Are you, were you like a, a fanboy um, at heart? Yeah. When I was like super young, like, so I didn't get into superheroes until probably X-Men, the animated series. So what's that? 92. 
So, um, but before then, it was always about the the comic strips. So, like, uh, like I said, Peanuts, Garfield, uh, Blondie, Calvin and Hobbes. Um, what are some of the other ones I loved back then? But like anything uh, that was it printed in the newspaper, I would go through them, I'd cut them out, I'd make little stacks of them. Um, nice. And then after X Men, it was like that awakening, right? Like you're like, oh, <laughs> like this is the kind of story I want to tell. I want to tell a story about colorful characters that are like fighting the good fight but they're also like fighting for stuff too right it's like not just like whoever punching a bad guy and stopping a bank robbery there's like a there's like a weight to it that even as a kid you kind of pick up on um so that was kind of like my big that rode me through the 90s i want to say we didn't have a lot of uh comic shops near us they all they all went out of business in the early 90s like everyone oh. else's uh and so you know the only way we got exposure to these characters was through trading cards video games movies and tv shows and so that kind of influenced like me up until i got into junior high where i could start i had a little bit of my own money i could start buying comics That's cool. so did, did you go the formal route to learn how to become a writer or did you just sort of start doing it on your own oh gosh i kind of started doing it on my own in a sense uh the the short version is I worked at Disneyland out, outside of high school. I worked on the Winnie the Pooh ride. I pressed buttons all day. Oh, wow. And I, I had a friend friend who had an internship at uh, a comic book company, and she was a film student. And she was like, I don't know why they have me here. This isn't helpful. Do you want to do this? <laughs> and I was like, yes, obviously. Like, this is the thing I've always wanted to do. So you get in there, and you're just like, you know, making coffee, taking calls. You're not really making comics, but you like mm -hmm. are close to it. And that was enough yeah. to like get me the bug. Um, but you know, it's an unpaid internship. So I had to, I waited tables and I worked in restaurants. I managed restaurants, I bartended. I just, a lot of the service industry stuff. And mm -hmm. I worked like, you know, those kind of like common jobs for maybe like 10 years, 11 years. And the whole time I'm trying to make something in comics happen. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis has a quote that's something like, you don't get your first paycheck in comics until you've been working there for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And that almost lines up to the day from when I had my first internship to when i got my first real assignment in a comic book oh wow what was that that first um assignment so uh uh chris northrup and jeff stokely had a book called the reason for dragons from archaea and they're like they i was really in the weeds with them helping get this book get made not necessarily like writing or anything but like looking over pages or just like i was there for the whole journey mm -hmm. and they're like we want to do something nice for you like we're going to give you a two-page short and for me, two pages was like the biggest deal in the world, right? Oh. And so like, I'm incredibly proud of it, but it's looking at it now, it's like, oh man, like you had a lot to learn, <laughs> didn't you? <laughs> but hey, two pages is a short, is still a short, right? You still got something created. Um, did you pull from your, I guess, any of your background when you wrote that short or was it just within that world that they created? Yeah, that one's kind of that one's a funny one. So the reason for dragons is about um kind of a nerdy Dungeons and Dragons obsessed kid where fantasy starts to bleed into the real world. And this was okay. all before Stranger Things or anything like that. Right, right. So uh it was about that. And so I kind of told a story about this kid that was kind of like he had all these fantasy books and all the fantasy gaming books I had growing up had kind of these like curvy, beautiful, voluptuous women on them. Like that was just the style of fantasy yeah, art at the time, yeah, all this Frank true. Franzetta stuff. And so the story is kind of about this like 
him getting in trouble with his dad because it's like, what are these books you've got lying around here all the time? And so that's kind of what the story is about, but uh, a little bit based on my experience. But if you if you know about my my body of work, I'm not necessarily lusting after uh, uh, Valkyries. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. Um, I just went to WonderCon, uh, I guess, a few weeks ago, and some of the the anime um, products, the stickers and mouse products I'll, I'll i'll just different types of products i i was blushing as like a 40 something year old man i was like oh my god some of this stuff is really really sexual and then on the flip side of that though i was like where's where's the male equivalent uh, these are all just like females being like overly sexualized and and objectified but there's like no male equivalent it, it's really interesting to kind of change your perspective and think like what what would happen if someone set up booth at a con and was selling like these really I mean there are some but not to the the extent that you see it uh within you know straight you know straight guy culture sure no it's funny uh i remember wizard magazine which was like the way you'd find out what the new books were uh had these covers of like i think it was greg horn doing electra and just like this very like beautiful airbrush like could have been in playboy kind of mm -hmm. image of her, mm -hmm. her and my mom saw it and she's like you have to rip off that cover or you have to throw it away and i was like you could have the cover i just want to know i want to know what the x-men are up to next month like i don't care <laughs> i was sort of in the same same situation as you i think <laughs> Um, you mentioned gaming and Dungeons and Dragons, and I guess some of your work has to do with um, a kitchen table game. I think it's called Death Saves. And yeah. um, tell me a little bit more about that, because I, when I was reading that on your biography, I thought that was really cool. So I'd like to hear a little bit story about how that came to be, because I used to play Dungeons and Dragons back in the day. It was kind of fun. So so this is quite interesting to me. Yeah, so I'm like a big gamer at heart, but I've been playing Dungeons and Dragons or games like Dungeons and Dragons, Star Wars mm -hmm. RPG. I've been playing since I was like 12 and I've been playing like nonstop. So oh, cool. um, basically when I run the game, I really like a lot of tension at the table, kind of. Mm -hmm. And I like, I kind of like when players get killed off in the game. I like when characters <laughs> get beheaded or poisoned or cursed or whatever. I think that's fun for me. It makes the game unexpected. And so I wanted to do a collection of stories that could spotlight some of my friends and their work and also give myself some new stories to create. So the gimmick is death saves are all about fantasy role-playing games, mm -hmm. like Dungeons and Dragons, but not officially Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Funny. So, uh, but in the story, a character has to die and that's it. That's the only rule. So, okay. you know, like bad roles, bad players, bad dungeon masters, everything in between. And so we had like, we did the first volume and it was like my first time going on Kickstarter and it was like, it blew up. Like we had no idea what to expect, which was amazing. We went from being like, was supposed to be like a hundred page paperback to being like a 200 page hardcover. Book. Oh, wow. Nice. Uh, and we did a follow-up for that a few years later. We're kind of getting the band back together to do a third one, but it's probably too early to, to talk about that. But like, yeah, I love that community aspect of these games. I love that shared experience, like this kind of like um, this, this continuity we create that the only lives at the table, right? Yeah. And like the yeah. special world that like is ours. And like, even though I am creative all day long for my job, it that's like, it's a little mercenary, right? Cause I'm like creative for cash. I'm creative for my, for money. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, if I'm going to play my game with my friends, there's no, there's none of that. 
it's yeah. it's just the purest form of, of yeah. art and creativity. And I just I think these games are so cool. And like I'm glad they're mainstream because like as someone who was not very social at all, it kind of had to break me out of my shell. And mm-hmm. I had to learn how to deal with different personalities, mm-hmm. deal with, uh, you know, just, uh, yeah, different personalities, different play styles, learning how to ask people direct questions in a way like that I hadn't before. Um, it's really a great way to build confidence. Yeah. And they stick with you. I mean, I haven't played probably in 30 years since I was about 12, 13 years old, mm-hmm. but I still remember those games at the table and just the I guess maybe it was just the DM and he he the way he structured it. I remember playing with like the 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 samurai packages and stuff. And it was just so oh, much yeah. fun. It was just so much fun. And I, maybe it's just something that I'm trying to rekindle and re grab onto. But yeah, it was just so much fun. No, it's never. I mean, obviously, it's never too late. And like there's so many different ways to connect with your friends online now, whether it's like it's true. One of those like D&D online games like Roll20 or like my friends and I were just playing um, Carcassonne uh online the other day and that mm-hmm. was like a blast because it keeps track of the points for you which is always the oh, hardest cool. part of that game for me <laughs> <laughs> one of the now, things for me that i think is really exciting is seeing more diversity um within like science fa- science fiction or fantasy realm one of the things that kind of discouraged me from getting really involved in like dungeons and dragons or fantasy was that i never really saw anyone that like reflected myself Uh with that genre um and but now we see that like it's you know expanding so much to welcome so many different people and recognize that the fan base is made up of so many different types of people and they're becoming creators and the characters are sort of reflecting the community as well um i just recently saw dungeon and dragons the movie um and was excited to see michelle rodriguez in it um you know a latina and i thought oh finally i can see like someone that is very similar to me within that fantasy realm. Um, and, you know, it, it, it may see, you know, for some people it may seem not that important, but God, it, it's, it, you know, it really makes you feel like you could participate in that. Um, and I'm curious if, if you felt the same way as being, um, you know, a creator on the other spectrum, uh, how important for representation is for you? Yeah. Like it's really important um, for me. Like I always say that like a big goal of my work is to help people, see themselves in these like fictional worlds because mm-hmm. like again like we didn't i didn't uh you know i'm i'm a i'm a gay guy there was no representation in fiction or anything i interacted with until i was much much older like i think it was until like hulkling and wiccan debuted probably in the early 2000s right so like that was like 20 something years so mm-hmm. like uh it's really cool i think for like little latinas out there they're going to see that they could be a big strong barbarian too and just like Michelle Rodriguez is just perfect casting for a barbarian. She basically plays one in the Fast and the Furious movies already. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a big fan of hers. Uh, You mentioned... uh gay and i am also a gay comic book fan um so i have to kind of uh sidetrack here uh you created aaron fisher the first lgbtq captain america um and to me is a really compelling character i mean not just a superhero that's you know godlike but someone that is um you know uh, is just a very uh, how can I say this? Uh, has a lot of dimension and and to the character. What was your inspiration for wanting to create a character such as such as him? Yeah, so uh, Aaron Fisher came about uh, because Christopher Cantwell did a miniseries called "The United States of Captain America," mm-hmm. and each issue spotlighted 
a different character who was inspired by Captain America who took on the mantle themselves. Mm-hmm. So mine was Aaron Fisher. He's a gay runaway from Missouri. Uh, he just this this punk. He's a little, he's a tough Jewish kid who likes to travel the country. They call him <laughs> the Captain America of the railways. But um, I wanted there. Are, uh, how do I say this? There are a, we're very lucky to have as many queer and gay specifically characters as we do write down comics. There's always room for more, of course. Um, but a lot of them that kind of came into being in the 2000s were kind of a product of their time. They were very, they're kind of shiny and happy and very well adjusted and they don't have a lot of grit to them. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like, it wasn't until like Dakin, I want to say, or like Wolverine's son mm-hmm. that we kind of got some of that energy. And I was like, I want someone with a little more grit. It would be one thing to just have like a little Bucky, right? Like go get him cap. Like I'm on your side. <laughs> and like, I was like, I don't want to do that guy. Um, but uh, I wanted to kind of reflect some of the real world struggles that people were going to through just like Captain America did originally. So like, I live in LA and any major city you might live in, um, you know, there's a big uh, housing situation. There are a lot of people mm-hmm. on the streets and people who are LGBTQ are disproportionately affected by that. Yeah. And so I wanted to have a character who maybe people could look towards and kind of make them think about that issue. And so Aaron is kind of like a protector to these runaways, to these unhoused people. And he really uh, interacts with them in a more meaningful way than a lot of these heroes do. You don't see Tony Stark necessarily mm-hmm. dealing with any of these situations. He's busy protecting skyscrapers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I think that it's it's so important, like you said, that that we have realistic representations of our community, that it's not just, you know, we, we did need at one point, you know, the shiny, happy, you know, superhero, godlike type characters, mm-hmm. but that we also have people that are facing the realities that we face in their own community. Um, and so I, I applaud you for that because I think that it was a very brave move um, because I think it could be somewhat controversial in a sense is that, you know, maybe people are looking for a perfect representation of of someone within the gay community or the gay spectrum, um, but to show that, you know, maybe they're not experiencing a perfect life um, could be kind of controversial for some um, that, you know, are just looking for us to have like a perfect you know, token. Um, but for you to actually bring someone to, to life um, that is uh, very real life, I think was was really uh, courageous of you and really cool. Um, so thank you for that. No, thank you. And, you know, um, it wouldn't be possible without um, Jan Bazaldua and I came together, the artists, and we came up with the whole overalls, the homemade DIY Captain America look for him. Yeah. Uh, and it, it really took off. Um, you know, uh, when the character debuted, it was like, must have been a slow news day, but it was like, an entertainment weekly and it was on like fox news and it was on like literally that for like 24 hours it was on tmz <laughs> my mom called me and she's like you're on tmz and i was like what <laughs> and so like i've never i'll never make anything like that again but like it really resonates with people and marvel knows what they have uh and there's some big things coming for him but that's not uh that's not my announcement to make unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> that is i hadn't heard of this character gabe thanks for telling not telling me about him but that sounds really interesting and really compelling i'm gonna have to go look him up because that's i'm really interested in reading about this character yeah he's i mean it's a personal favorite for, my, for me obviously but um I, people really seem to resonate with him and i've seen people tag me in cosplay photos all around the country and it's crazy because he's only been in a handful of issues right now Mm -hmm. um but like that just the power these characters have with people yeah it just speaks to how important it is for you know and how 
hungry we are for representation. I remember as a kid, you know, flipping through comics and either, you know, seeing a Spanish surname or seeing someone with dark hair and thinking, oh, can I find some like some clue to show that, you know, maybe they're Latino or mm-hmm. oh, did is there like a, a, a gaze that one male character gave another? Are they possibly gay? And I, I remember how uh, you know, just I searched for that. I was just looking for that sort of validation in in the characters and thinking, you know, we can be superheroes too. Like we can take that mantle as well. And so, um, speaking of which, um, one of my favorite characters in comics is Blue Beetle. So this is a perfect transition. Mm-hmm. Um, Reyes, uh, you were currently uh, have worked on Blue Beetle Graduation Day uh, issues one through five is currently out. I'm mm-hmm. sort of a cliffhanger to the last issue um, in the series, but um, I've all caught up one through five. Great job. Um, it is a great series, um, but I would love to be able to start talking to you about that. How did you come to work on such a great book? Oh, gosh, uh, this is a long story, too, because nothing happens quick. And that's not true. Things either, <laughs> either happen immediately in comics or they take your entire life. So uh, I did a book for Boom Studios called Dodge City. And uh, it was just a, a teen dodgeball book. I'm very proud of it. I worked with Cara McGee as the artist. And uh, basically, we it features a young Latino lead. There's there's a, a fair amount of Spanish untranslated. And so I think the editor at DC, who I had a relationship, who I knew, uh, she saw that and was like, you'd be a perfect fit for Blue Beetle. Like, we want that youthful energy. We want that voice. And we want that authenticity. And I was like, Perfect. She's like, we're going to set you up with a with a one shot or a mini series. We're still figuring it out. I'm like, cool. Then she leaves the company like five minutes later. And I was like, oh, my like, No, I thought that was going to be the thing. So uh, her assistant editor, Andrew Marino, very nice guy. He never forgot. And it's been years. And every time there's like a little like there's a little wedge or a little crack. He's like, I'm going to find a way we're going to don't give up. We're doing Blue Beetle. And so three, four years later, um, DC did this competition called Round Robin, where it was a bracket style elimination tournament for creative teams. So different creative teams would pitch a character and or team and the winner of the competition, the fans would vote. The winner got to do a six issue miniseries with that premise. So I would me, Adrian Gutierrez, Will Quintana uh, and Andrew Marino, we were doing Blue Beetle. And to our surprise, honestly, because Jaime hadn't been around for a few years, um, people were hungry for him. And every time we went up against some great teams and some great creators, and we somehow rocketed to the semifinals, um, and we lost to Suicide Squad, which is fair. They had a movie coming out. You can't compete with Harley Quinn. Uh, <laughs> I've learned that the hard way. But, um, but people didn't give up. Every time they would announce new books, people would always tag DC and be like, When's Blue Beetle? What's going on with Jaime? When's when are we going to get a Blue Beetle book? And so with the movie coming out, and DC was going to republish a lot of their older material, the John Rogers, Coley Hamner, uh, Keith Giffen run. Uh, they wanted some new stuff, and they're like, "Well, we have a perfectly good Blue Beetle story right here. Like, let's mm-hmm. let's make it happen." So it's not exactly what I pitched for the Rad Robin. We've made some tweaks, obviously, uh, but um, it's honestly a dream come true. I've been. I've been loving this character since I'm, what, 17, 18. Uh, mm-hmm. I talked to John Rogers, who was one of the co-creators of Blue Beetle. I think he works on the movie, too. But um, And I was like, I love this book because Jaime was my age. I 
look like Jaime. I am Jaime. We have a scoop that that you are actually Blue Beetle, and there you go. actually, <laughs> I have a. I should have pulled it out, but I have an unused cover design by uh, Rafael Albuquerque uh, of Blue Beetle issue number seven, the original run, and I bought it from like must have been eBay for like. 30 bucks like in 2005 maybe and i've had it in my mom's room in my in my room at my mom's house for 20 years and i i found it just recently and i was like oh my god this is like cosmic right like it's one of those moments Mm -hmm. where just like connects one of my favorite parts about your book blue beetle um i'm missing just issue three because i can't find it anywhere but is that you don't like you said you don't translate the spanish you leave it as Spanish. And I thought that was really ingenious in my mind because, you know, I don't, I'm not fluent, but I know enough to get by. And, and if readers don't know it, they have to go look it up. So I thought that was really cool. But the kicker for me, what really hooked me into the whole series in Blue Beetle as a character is that you had Superman speaking Spanish. Now, I don't know if there's precedence for that or not, but I thought that was so cool. And it really made me want to learn more about Jaime Reyes. So I'm, I'm just now look it up as much as I can about him. Yeah, the, the Superman speaking Spanish was like like my one of my notes from the first day I started working on it cuz nice. it's ins- it's insane to me that he wouldn't, right? Like he's su- yeah. he, he's Superman, he must <laughs> he speaks probably every language. He's like a he knows everything about architecture and science and he's got all these crystals to teach him. Of course he knows Spanish. And like more than that, he's just like a nice chill guy. Like it just <laughs> seems such like a, such a perfect fit for Clark. Um so we do have a lot of, not a lot, but we have a fair amount of Spanish in the book. And it's not, there are no plot secrets we're hiding in the language. Yeah. You know, if you don't speak Spanish, um, I always recommend that what the Google Translate app, you just scan your phone over it and it translates pretty well. Or like, you can just get by not reading the Spanish portions. You, the art, I think, is so expressive. And yeah, we always, if great. something's yeah. important, we say it in English, but it is to like, make it feel more authentic to Jaime's experience. Yeah. He lives in yeah. a bilingual household. Mm-hmm. He lives in a bilingual community. It's the kind of community that I originally grew up in in Orange County. Uh, but I just wanted to do something that felt a little true and not just him being like, I don't even know. <laughs> doing, some of, <laughs> doing some of those messy, messy or Spanglish moments that, uh, right. that can pop up. Right. And I appreciate that you didn't do that. I mean, it's authentic because I spoke to my wife about it and showed her, look, they're Spanish here in the comic book. And she was like, that's how it is for me at home because she speaks Spanish with her family at home, but out in society or out in public, she speaks mainly English. So I thought that was really cool and true. I'm glad that you kept it like that. Yeah, and something, you know, I thought there was going to be more pushback from DC Comics about this, but um, they were, my editor, Andrew, and everyone at the team was incredibly enthusiastic. Something special about Blue Beetle Graduation Day is that it's being published in the United States in English and in Spanish. Yeah, and, and they Spanish. don't do that for any other book. Um, so you have a com- you can get a complete Spanish version mm-hmm. or the English version, which contains some Spanish. But like, uh, just a, I was at WonderCon a few weeks ago as well, and uh, people would come up to me and they'd be like, "My brother, this is the first comic I bought for him because it's in Spanish." Mm-hmm. You know, it like, and it's like hopefully like a good entry point. This is a lot of people's first comic, I hope, and so. I, I just want to show them how cool and diverse and like exciting the DC universe can be. Yeah, I think the the other thing that's really great that you did is that 
Um, the series starts off with with Jaime graduating from high school, and it's a really pivotal time. And I think most young man's life, like, what are you going to do with your life? Um, e- even for those of us that aren't superheroes, but <laughs> are you going to go to college? Are you going to be working at a restaurant? Or, or what are you going to? Who are you going to be? Um, and I think that that's so relatable for so many people. Have that anxiety of, you know, that pressure from your family, the pressure from society, pressure from yourself. Um, did, did you draw from your own, um, back, back story for that or? Yeah, definitely. Uh, they always say, write what you know. And so maybe it's yeah. like, don't write what you don't know. Yeah. Uh, cause I, I went to college <laughs> briefly, but I ended up dropping out because of, um, money and this yeah. and that. And so, um, I ended up just working. I worked through my twenties and, you know, I'm still working today, but I'm doing different kind of work, but like, um, a lot of Jaime's struggles are things that I felt when I was that age that indecisiveness mm-hmm. and Jaime is in a different position than I was because Jaime has all this power and opportunity available to him. Right. Yeah. He can be, he's been on the justice league. He's been the teen Titans. He saved the world more times than we can count. But like, do you, is that what you want to do? Or is that just what you're supposed <laughs> to do? And I think that's a really interesting question for him. Um, in the, in the original run, there's kind of this big joke that he wants to become a dentist uh, and I'm not saying he'll never become a dentist, but I think it's gonna we have to take a few more detours along the way, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I no, think that's a really interesting story of a dentist. I, at least uh, my dentist, I think, would appreciate having a superhero that whose alter ego is a dentist during the day or during the night or what what have you. <laughs> I want to do old man. I want to do old man beautiful, where he's like grade and old and like a 75 year old dentist. <laughs> <laughs> it's just. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> well, is, is there plans to make Blue Beetle um your run an ongoing series? Do you know, or is it just going to be contained within this limited six? Uh, yeah, DC's been very supportive of the book. They love the character. Uh, it's all going to depend. I hate you know that cliche. It just depends on sales. It yeah. depends on people pre-ordering the book, and it depends on how how that book does kind of leading up to the movie because the, mm-hmm. the movie's out in August, I believe. Right. But um, we have no shortage of stories we want to tell with him. I say this with every character. They're like, like that <laughs> two page short I did for the, uh, it was in it's like, Josh, you need to drink some water and like sit down. But <laughs> for Jaime, I really could. I would take him, I would, I would take him to the moon and back, you know, uh, and the whole team feels the same way. So Fans have been supportive. I hope the numbers are there, uh, but we have, we'll be there in a, in a heartbeat. And I would just say, keep reading. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You spoke of the movie coming out soon. Um, how excited are you to see something in the big big screen in you know real life that you've been working on um, and, and written um, to see it? You know, I, I'm excited as a fan. I can't wait to watch the movie. It's so wild because it feels like uh, you know it's it's nothing I wrote, but it's like. I wrote that too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like so, yeah. so there's something that was important to me, even from before I was a creator, like now is like going to be important for so many people. And I just saw the trailer. I saw the Mario movie yesterday and the trailer and IMAX blew me away. I cannot wait to see it on that format screen. But like people were cheering like nice. for Blue Beetle. And this is a character that like, I think people of a certain age maybe don't, uh, or above don't know the character very well. But I think if, we, you know, if you're kind of in your 40s or younger, you know him from like the Injustice video games, 
Batman Brave and the Bold, Young Justice, all these different areas. But this is going to be his first exposure for a lot of people. So it's it's really cool to be like to be a like one step removed from being a part of this. Well, yeah, I could say you're a part of it. Yeah, I mean, you're in the Blue Beetle it. family. Yeah, definitely. yeah, I am. I'm the biggest cheerleader for this movie, uh, humanly possible. I think uh, Zolo, the lead, is like from Cobra Kai. He's such good casting. Like, I, I'm sure someone just saw him and was like, "Oh, we have to make a Blue Beetle movie while he's young, right?" <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I agree with you. When I saw it, I I I got, you know, it was nothing short of having chills. Like I I just think that it's so important for us to finally have like a, a Hispanic Latino lead superhero of this magnitude um on the screen. Uh, it looks like it's so well done. Um mm-hmm. it, it just it I I can't wait. I mean, I'm at a loss for words because it just looks so great. And uh, me being a fan of the character, I'm so excited to actually see it come to life. Yeah, it looks so funny, and, like, the cast is great. George Lopez is always hilarious, and, like, uh, I'm really curious what they're doing with it. I don't, I know tiny, tiny bits about what happens in the movie, but I don't really know very much. Uh, and so I'm I'm very stoked to be, like, to just, I don't, I don't know. I hope I get to go to the premiere. If not, I'll be one of those people waving signs outside of the premiere. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> should really push for you to go to the premiere, and, and you'll be a fan <laughs> like us getting to experience the movie for the first time. That's really cool. Yeah, it's uh, honestly this is this whole year is a dream come true because I get to talk Blue Beetle the entire time. Yeah. So uh, you you mentioned that you were a fan of Blue Beetle uh, at a young age. Um, you've worked on some, you know, we mentioned that you worked on Wonder Woman, The Flash, you know, uh, huge, huge superheroes. Is there anyone that is maybe less known or um, someone that you've been kind of itching to write that would be like a dream project of yours? Uh there are a couple still lighting, writing, uh, hanging around in the back of my mind, but the big one right now is Bunker. I don't know if you guys know Bunker. He's a, he's from Teen Titans. He's a Scott Lobdell creation. Basically, he's a he's a gay Mexican who has what I call Fortnite powers. So he creates energy bricks and he can okay. like turn them into constructs. We so can make like a giant fist, or he can make like a wall, or he can do this or do that. And he's just like this like lighthearted goof of a guy and. He didn't really get his time to shine when he was on the Titans. And I'm like, but there's such potential there. Like his power set's really visually interesting. He's like, you know, there aren't a lot of like queer Latino characters in the DC universe or any universe for that matter. And so like, I'm like, Bunker, if I get a chance, it's you and me. Like, we're going to make you a star. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned that would be really exciting. Sorry, go ahead, Danny. No, go ahead. Oh, I'm just saying that that would be a really exciting project for me as a fan to get a hold of, uh, especially being a gay Latino. Like I said, it just is so hungry for representation and for those type of characters that getting one more would just be amazing for me. Yeah, he's so cool. I, you know, I grew up, uh, like I said, learning about these characters through trading cards and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't have the good trading cards. You know, you buy a couple packs, you end up with like, you don't get a Wolverine, you get like a songbird or like, you know what I mean like someone who's not a nameless character <laughs> yeah. and so you 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 learn to love those characters mm-hmm. yeah and so that's kind of like I have a big I have the DC who's who's omnibuses in my on my living room table and like I just love that like that's what one of my favorite things about the DC universe that there's so many weird colorful characters that like they have so much going for them and it's just a matter of like finding the right story for them like uh like kite man 
Like you, you could have told me five years ago that Kite Man was going to be like one of the more popular Batman villains. And I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> but now in the, because of the Harley Quinn show, everyone loves Kite Man now. Yeah. Yeah, it's... yeah, I think that there's there's so much opportunity for so many different characters. Um, that's one of the things that as a fan, I get frustrated when I see sort of maybe the rehashing of some of the same characters or same storylines. I'm like, why can't you use someone else? There are so many stories that have been untold yet. There's so many characters that are out there that I would die to see on the big screen. I'm mm-hmm. um, not, not, you know, anything specific that I'm hating on, but there's so much that, you know, is out there that we could really see that are, is really cool and original. No, it's true. And like, um, I always say, and this may be a bad example, cause I bet I could write a good story with them, but I'm like, I don't know if I have the best Lex Luthor story ever told in my heart. You know what I mean? There've been so many great stories with these characters. Like what's who's like, who's next down the line, like atomic skull prankster toy man, like give me the weird ones. I'll do something really interesting with it. So interesting that you mentioned Lex Luthor because um, in graduation day in blue beetle, you introduce Victoria cord and um, there's a lot of kind of talk about where her character will lead. Um, mm-hmm. Do you see her as sort of a Lex Luthor type? Uh, you know, Victoria Cord is someone we added to the story um, as as the outline was kind of coming together because we mm-hmm. wanted uh, traditionally Ted Cord is like the guy in the chair for Blue Beetle, right? He's like there to help Jaime. He's got all the tech stuff and like there's not really a lot of tension there. They've done some stories where they've kind of been at odds with each other, but I think they, we needed another voice. And so there is a lot of talk about where Victoria Cord's going, but she's one of the most brilliant minds in the DC universe, of course. Um, she's obsessed with alien technology in particular. Mm-hmm. She wants to take all the alien tech, repurpose it to help humanity. Pretty straightforward, but as we learn in the series, she's a little more, she's got more going on than we think. She's got a couple secrets in her closet, like literally. Uh, and so kind of figuring out where she's going to go has been one of my favorite things. Um, she's just been a delight to write and like kind of navigate what her her journey is going to be. Um, and it's cool to like create these characters that, you know, like will get some play later down the line. Right. You're like, it's that uh, Chris Claremont X-Men thing. It's like, I'm going to write some plot threads and I may never necessarily get to all of them, but I know someday someone's going to like, pick up that uh, but i would write victoria for 100 issues she cracks me up yeah i i, I feel like she's already going to be like a gay icon character <laughs> that's true she's got the sunglasses and the pantsuit and yeah it's, yeah it's it's just a matter of time yeah with um james gunn now at the head of dc studios a lot of the turmoil i think is finally settling down so um, mm-hmm. maybe there is room for a lot of these minor, I wouldn't say minor character, but lesser known characters to have their day in the sun. So hopefully maybe you will get to write some more of those. For on yeah, I, very, I, I, I will move heaven and earth to write more uh, Blue Beetle and to write more the chords in particular. I love Ted to death. Uh, I love the Justice League International from the 80s. I read mm-hmm. those stories before I read the Jaime Blue Beetle stories. And so Ted's, you know, Ted's my blue beetle as well. Um, but graduation days, you know, Ted's in the book, but it's Jaime's story for sure. Yeah. Right. For sure. I think though you you did a great job of showing their relationship and how much he really looks out for Jaime and how he kind of, I mean, he's, 
is going against Batman at one point, right? So he he really has his back, and I thought that that was really cool. That 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 whole um, you know story of of family and um, almost really like chosen family at the same time because you have you know Superman looking out for him, you have all these other heroes, uh, Starfire coming to mm-hmm. to kind of take care of of Jaime, um, which is really kind of a touching a- aspect of the story. Yeah, it's, you know, family is at the center of what I think makes Blue Beetle work, even if his parents, Bianca and Berto, aren't around him right now because he's outside of the house. Uh, everyone just, well, someone told me, like, Jaime's superpower is that he has too many mentors. Like, <laughs> <laughs> everyone wants to help Jaime, right? Like, he's so likable. He's, he's got so much potential. Everyone's like, you can do it. And so um, it's nice to have a cast that's like, that truly has each other's backs in like this meaningful way. Um, and I getting to get Starfire in the book was huge for me. A lot of people, when I pitched it, were like, why Starfire? Because she's never had that connection with Jaime before. But I was like, you know, Jaime has, he's got Batman to teach him how to be a grim and gritty superhero or detective. He's got Superman to kind of teach him how to be like this great protector. But Starfire is like a cosmic warrior queen. She's been, she's not, uh, She's not street smart, but she's like space smart. You know, when you're in outer space, she's super capable. She knows every threat. She knows every planet. But then she comes to Earth and she's just kind of like slumming it a little bit. Right. Uh, (laughs) She has a lot still that she can learn from Jaime because she's, you know, when she's on Earth, she's hanging around with Dick Grayson and eating Alfred's food. Uh, (laughs) This is an opportunity for her to learn more about Earth culture, too. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, really happy to see her make a cameo in the book. I've always been a big fan of uh, the Teen Titans, especially from the 80s. Uh, my age, you know, that was the the whole George Perez. Um, I'm a big fan uh, of his and the stuff that he was doing on the Teen Titans, which is amazing. No, I, I love uh, all those old Titans comics and trying to dig through the continuity was interesting because the Titans have been in so many books together for mm-hmm. decades and decades and crossovers and they crossed over at like x-men they crossed over with i think star trek they you just like everywhere you look so trying to get bottle that character starfire down to like her essence was really tricky but i i, I think we did a good job with it i we hope did. we did a good job with it <laughs> <laughs> you got our approval here at pop cult x i don't know how much yes. that is worth but <laughs> <laughs> well speaking of pop cult x we are a pop culture show so um tell us briefly what are you currently outside of comic books i guess watching reading listening to is anything that stands out to you uh let's see uh i saw the mario movie yesterday Mm -hmm. highly recommend it it's you know it's it's a family it's a family movie so Mm -hmm. it is uh it is funny and quick and colorful and exciting as a huge nintendo guy growing up and now still uh it it was perfect um so i love that uh beyond that what am i in what am i watching uh i watch a lot of youtube videos there's this channel called defunct land and they do all these theme park video histories so like each video is about a different theme park ride or land that got closed and so it's about like the history of it but mostly why it's closed and the guy who does it this guy uh, kevin perjurer he's a really talented document mentory guy i i don't know him personally but you can tell as he as it goes on and on and on he keeps upping his game every time so nice. what was once like maybe like a 20 minute video about like this roller coaster that broke down now it's like a 90 minute movie documentary 
about the history of like uh fast pass if you know fast pass from right. like the disney mm-hmm. parks so it's just like wild stuff <laughs> like that i'm like who wants to talk about fast pass for 90 minutes but then he breaks it down and you're like this is the most interesting thing i've ever seen that's cool that's, that's really cool yeah uh so that's really good uh I'm listening to a lot of Godzilla music right now. I don't know what's going on in my brain, but uh, I was like, I need to hear Mothra's song right now. And then it just like, it's devolved from there. Devolved. It's, it's just, it's just getting worse, man. You ask me in a week, I'm who knows what I'll be listening to. Just spiraling down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited for fast X. I think we're calling it the next fast and the furious mm-hmm. movies. Ride or die. That's, that's family. Uh, <laughs> I'll be there. I'll be there till the end. Um, but that's kind of the stuff that I, I'm into when I'm not uh, writing, which is increasingly rare these days. <laughs> nice. So are, are there any other current projects that you're working on that you can talk to us about right now? Sure. Um, I have a story in DC Pride uh, uh, featuring Apollo and Midnighter and a, and a surprise mm-hmm. guest, which I'm very excited to do. I, I've never had a chance to write those characters before. And it's interesting because they're like, uh, if Hulkling and Wiccan are kind of the shiny, happy, perfect gay couple, mm-hmm. Apollo and Midnight are like rock and roll assholes. <laughs> and it's so interesting to like, it's like, what? It's So it's cool to write the, the other side of the coin with them. Um, so that's really cool. Uh, I have another short for DC at the end of the year that hasn't been announced yet. And then um, uh, a big thing for Marvel, for, for Pride, it's not in the Pride special, but it, it'll be out really soon actually i'm surprised they haven't announced it yet but um big thing for marvel and then uh keep reading blue beetle i think you're going to be uh pleasantly surprised very cool yeah um do you happen to know when issue six will be out yeah i think it's two weeks from tomorrow when we're filming so it's i think the 25th okay nice perfect so yeah april 25th issue six the blue beetle graduation day it all it all comes to this the new status quo is revealed <laughs> um and uh there's all we do a lot of fun and have a lot of fun and games with it um this this whole series has been such a delight and i haven't said enough about the team i've worked with on it um adrian gutierrez is my blue mm-hmm. beetle brother he's the artist everything he draws is so dynamic has yeah, so much energy exactly. mm-hmm. he's a perfect fit for that youthful exuberance and he does these faces these facial expressions that like make yeah. me crack up every time um and then will quintana's our colorist uh he he just paints the hell out of like these these beetle armors because we have new beetles we have natita the green beetle and we mm-hmm. have dynastis the yellow beetle they look like they just came out of the a car lot they're like shining and like glowing <laughs> practically and then uh uh lucas gatoni is our letterer he letters the book in english and in spanish he's the only letterer as far as we know in the entire world who's lettering in two languages oh wow that's so cool. he deserves all the attention. Eisner voters, if you're listening, give this, give him all the awards you can. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Well, I have one final question for you. And it's something that I've been curious about um, when we talk to writers. How hard is it for you to keep a lid on all this upcoming stuff that, you know, you really want to, for me, when I do something new, I want to share it with the world, right? So how hard is it and difficult is for you to like, you know, have to quell that excitement for a while? It's re- it's really hard. We didn't talk a lot about it in this interview, but like I work in video games as another part of my career. I wanted and to, those, yeah. yeah, those games, you know, you have to sign a non-disclosure agreement. It's very mm-hmm. serious. And if you spill something, it could ruin everyone, everything. 
but like in comics it's a little you know you have like you can tell i can tell my boyfriend what i'm working on and that's like <laughs> basically he has to deal with it every single day i'm like you won't believe what i, I, I have. you know <laughs> oh my god this page is late or my script needs to be rewritten or blah 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 blah. so i do have people i can vent to but um it is really really hard keeping the secret especially with stuff yeah. like um like the big Marvel thing coming out in just a few weeks. They haven't announced Almost got yet. you there. No. <laughs> I know. Uh, or uh, a big DC thing that'll be announced in a few weeks too. So um, I'll, I'll be happy to chat about those when I'm allowed to. <laughs> well, I guess then last question 1A, um, yeah. you mentioned video games and I really wanted to get, maybe we'll have we bring you back on because I really no, wanted please. to talk to you about video games. And so, yeah, that will be part two of the interview. Perfect. So for our, for our fans um, that that like to interact with with creators, um, are you active on Twitter on Instagram? Uh, you know, I'm on I'm on Twitter till it burns down, and so <laughs> your guess is as good as mine. But um, uh, I'm on Twitter at Lost His Keys Man. I lost my keys, <laughs> man. So um, uh, there's another Josh Trujillo who's a very talented uh, photographer. And we get confused a lot because he's at Josh Trujillo and I'm at Lost His Keys Man. Mm. So every time I get a book announced or people send an angry, like they're like, Hulkling wouldn't do that. And he's like, I'm not, I'm not the guy. Like, I'm not the guy you should be talking to. For this. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> so all the, all the bad stuff goes to him because all the positive vibes that people that know you, they know where to find you. So That's I cool. hope so. But um, <laughs> I, I, I do feel bad for him, but sometimes I get emails are like, will you fly to Abu Dhabi to fil- to record this wedding? And I'm like, I will, but I don't think I'm the one you want. <laughs> <laughs> very cool. Well, thank you very much, Josh. We appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on to chat with us about Blue Beetle. And like you and the rest of the world, we're all going to be watching it when it comes out in August. So um, maybe we'll have you back on before then. We could chat again. Yeah, I'd love that. Uh, happy to chat about the movie or anything. And uh, be sure to pick up Blue Beetle Graduation Day number six, our big finale uh, on April 25th. There you go. We will. Thank you so much. All right. So that was a great conversation with uh, Josh Trujillo, a writer for Blue Beetle Graduation Day episode, or not episode, but issue number six <laughs> out within the next few weeks uh keep an eye on that uh highly recommend the series if you haven't already picked it out issues one through five already out so visit your local comic book shop pick those up um can't really recommend them anymore <laughs> yeah and pick up the one if you don't even have i have it in um the all spanish one that josh was talking about it's really cool i mean maybe it's a good way to learn spanish why not it's it's really cool it's a great series um there you go. Todo en español. <laughs> yes, it's it's really cool. So thanks again, Josh. We really appreciate your time. Um, yeah, and I, I maybe we'll have you back on soon because I really want to get into the video games that you worked on. So I think that's about it for this episode, episode 101. Thank you again, everyone out there for st- um, sticking with us. Uh, if you haven't yet, or if you're new and this is your first time seeing us, make sure you hit that subscribe button so that way you're always notified when we release new episodes or specials or whatnot. Um, give it a like, and we'll see you all next time. Stay safe, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.